Listen and subscribe to the GrowthCraft Startup Community Podcast on all the major podcast players, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere where podcasts are available. And leave a five-star review if you like it. We need those reviews to grow the show, and it's the easiest way to help us grow the show that you can do right now. So head on over to iTunes, head on over to Google Podcasts or Spotify, and leave a five-star review for the GrowthCraft Startup Community Podcast. And tell all of your friends who are entrepreneurs to take a listen. And thanks. My name is Hassan Sorrells. This is Tom Libby. And you are listening and, of course, watching the GrowthCraft Podcast. The Growth Path Podcast is designed with the startup founder in mind. This podcast is committed to growing your connections to our GrowthCraft advisors, increasing your engagement with the GrowthCraft community, and of course, growing your knowledge about all the benefits that GrowthCraft can provide for your startup project. We can't wait to bring you along on our journey today. Here on the GrowthCraft Podcast, we interview startup founders, advisors, and others about their journey, their process, their product, and of course, how they came to be in the space that they are in now. And today, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Nick Gay-Ross. How you doing, <laughs> Nick? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm glad I did my hair. I didn't realize there was a visual component, too. Well, I'm, I'm also glad that I managed to not butcher the pronunciation of your last name, <laughs> at least not terribly. On the I recording. mean, we only practiced it 18 times before we got on, so <laughs> had very well, high hopes, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been that kind of moment <laughs> um, yeah. currently this uh, this week on the podcast. So um, let's open up with something very simple. Um, our first question, and then we'll bounce off to a whole bunch of other things. So, uh, Nick, tell us, you know, for our listeners exactly, um, what is it that you do? At its very core, uh, and something that's taken a number of years, you know, the, the simple things are the hard things to figure out. Um, what I do is help scientists good, do good science. You know, and this is coming from a number of years. Uh, myself, I started out as a lab manager. Uh, you know, you, you stay a lab manager in academia for long enough and turns out all your friends get PhDs and well, they all ask for help, uh, because, uh, scientists, they learn how to do science. They don't learn how to do business and they don't learn how to run things. They just do them within the infrastructure that's been created. And so the, the joke that I tell all the time is that there was a day that my boss essentially brought me into our office and said, <laughs> Look, I'm happy for you to, you know, take our alumni and help them out and build their own labs. Uh, but if you're not going to be working in mine, I'm not going to pay you. <laughs> uh, so that led to uh, creating a, a contract infrastructure, which, uh, you know, over the years, we figured out that that was called a consultancy. Mm -hmm. And uh, with the work that we did, we figured out basically what I just explained is that scientists really they they learned how to do science and our programming started out really pragmatic and just setting up the infrastructure like 
buying things, helping them find space. Uh, but we were also helping negotiate contracts and through, uh, not by accident, you know, we were asking for feedback, but, uh, unintentionally we were doing sort of that market research and realized very quickly that it's not really what we were doing that, that was helping out the most. It was what we were saying, right? It was the advice and that advice coupled with what we were doing. Uh, and so that, that's really the ethos and, and the, the foundation to everything that we do. And now, uh, the consulting group that I run and, uh, that's also graduated and evolved into creating actual workspace. Uh, we're in the process of creating, gosh, uh, I just had a new meeting this morning. Uh, we're looking at just shy of 500,000 square feet, uh, now internationally, uh, wow of combined lab and office space uh, specifically meant to support these scientists in literally everything except for science, right? They, they know their science. That, that's the whole point. They've done countless years of studying, so they don't need help there. They need help with how to set up the books. They need help with how to uh, find the right attorneys, right? How to recruit. Right? What does it mean to write an attractive job description? Uh, what does it mean to do effective outreach? Right? And what does it mean to align with everybody else? So along with those other things, you know, our main focus is team development, lots and lots of communications. You know, if you think of that stereotypical scientist, uh, that is a lot of them, right? They, you know, the stereotypes exist for a reason. Uh, so we do help them with taking that and, and projecting that out to the outside, really bringing those visions because they are really exciting, you know, new technologies, new sciences. Uh, and if you're in the life sciences, more specifically new cures to diseases, uh, those things are super exciting. And it, it just takes just a little bit of work to get them to, to make a great story, make a great vision of what they want to do and, and just project that out to the world. Now, I've worked with scientists before um, as a leadership consultant um, and as a leadership trainer, um, gone into established scientific companies, um, specifically in um, the uh, the biotech space um, and someone in the med tech space. So I have some familiarity with <laughs> some of the challenges that you that you may be facing. Uh, I come at it, of course, from the perspective of we're really dealing with highly conscientious people here who really want to get everything right. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with other human beings, <laughs> uh, they tend to be, as John McClain would say in Die Hard, uh, the monkey in the wrench, right? Right. Uh, you know, um, uh, the fly in the ointment, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you successfully... Uh, or maybe it's a work in progress, but um, how do you successfully take these conscientious people who, <clears throat> quite frankly, if the thing that they don't do or the thing that they do doesn't work correctly every single freaking time, <laughs> it's a real problem. People right. die or the thing doesn't work. Okay. How do you take them out of that space and help them navigate that space of human ambiguity? That's a loaded question. It is very loaded. And <laughs> yeah. That's why I front loaded uh, it at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people can get stuff out of it right. now and then they don't have to listen to the rest of the episode. <laughs> so the way that we do that is 
we bring them back to something that is familiar, mm. right? Where, and this is true for, for anybody. Um, you know, you bring them back to something familiar, they can pull back on their own experience, their own expertise, and apply sort of the tips, tricks, techniques, and tools that they have to solve that problem that's in front of them. What that means for working with people, by definition, scientists analyze, right? They are trained their whole career to analyze, and what they want is data. They need data points. And obviously, these are massive generalizations, so it's not going to be true for everyone. Uh, but for the sake of having a, a brief conversation about this, uh, we'll, we'll stick with the generalizations. Um, so the vast majority of them are very skeptical, right? And, and you should hope so. You want your scientist that's coming up with that next cure, that thing that you're going to be swallowing. You want them to be extremely skeptical about everything that's going in there and make sure that without the shadow of a doubt that it's going to help and it's not going to make you grow an extra arm, right? And so... I don't know. An we, extra arm might be handy these days, actually, <laughs> for me. You know, I was gonna, I was gonna keep that one to myself, but I was but. thinking the same thing. <laughs> okay, how about a grow an extra nose or a third? Oh yeah, that wouldn't nose. be handy. No. Yeah, yeah. No. An extra ear uh, would be the worst. I'm just saying, just listening more, like hearing more of what's going on in my house. That would be anyway. Sorry, go ahead. Nick. <laughs> so you know, we've we've trained these scientists, and I say we because as a society, that's really what we expect of them right? We've trained them and we want them to be like this. But then as soon as we ask them to enter the realm of business, right? And it, that itself being this massive ambiguous term, we expect them to sort of flip, do a whole 180 and completely change. When, you know, for the most part, scientists have been studying since grade school, to do these things. Uh, if they're physician scientists, which, which also happens, you know, MD, PhDs, uh, that's even longer, right? We're looking at 20 years. Most of the time, our clients that we're helping negotiate, literally, we are helping these individuals who are usually late 30s, early, early 40s. We're negotiating their first job. And that's something that is not always understood because the process is so defined for them, because the avenues of where they can go within science are, are very clear, right? The roads are built. And so the vast majority of them go through that. And so when it comes to taking them off-roading, if you will, um, we have to bring it back to those principles that they understand. And a lot of times understanding is just providing them with the ability to create those data points that they need and giving them the space to analyze and to understand why things happen, right? Or why somebody else that's maybe not a scientist would react a certain way, right? And once that understanding shows up, that's when we start giving them tools, right? Analytical tools that allow them to really bridge the gap between their knowledge and the way that they do things and how everybody else perceives what they're doing. Uh, a lot of times, and this is why communication is such an important part of what we do. We've had uh, this, a moment that's really stuck in my brain as, as we were working with a whole team 
part of our engagements is actually we, we bookend the last part of our engagement with the whole team. We do a, a three-day workshop with them. And as part of this workshop, we do uh, a, we get the scientists to describe uh, a picture. And uh, in this case, the picture was two individuals uh, from the FBI manual on reading body language. Oh yeah, I know, I know what you're about yeah. to, I know what you're about to describe. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And uh, the CEO of this company sat there and listened for about five minutes straight and did not say a word. And finally, at the end, you know, everyone's participating, the whole team saying, well, I see this, I see that, I, you know, this is probably happening or, you know, it, down to, you know, on the later stages of the conversation, they're actually creating a story and narrative of what could potentially be happening. And at the very end, you know, you classically, you end, are there any more questions? And the CEO just wide eyed and said, I have no idea how any of you got any of that from this picture. <laughs> zero clue and that was like a real light bulb moment for him right to to go i need to rely on my team to see these things because i don't see them and this is someone with a lot of experience this this is like a you know not his first company uh it's not even his first group um and it, those are really the the types of situations that that we like to provide that we like to create through our workshops. Um, and really, those are those golden moments that, that keep us going too. Because, okay, fine, yeah, sure. It, it's a, a quote unquote deficiency that he found within himself. But then on the flip side, he also found that he already had the solution around him, right? And that's that team development aspect that we're really trying to create within science. Academia, growing and learning is such a, an individual sport. Everyone gets their own project. And all of a sudden, you come into the commercial space, and everyone has to work on the same project, right? Everyone is working towards the same goal, right? So there are subtle differences, but they're enough. And then the whole infrastructure around how everything is happening is there. And, and that's where the engagements really happen for us. Let me ask. Let me ask you a different kind of question because it sounded to me uh, earlier in the in uh, earlier in the conversation that that not only are you in the you're a consultant in your consultancy, but you sounded like you were also in your own version of some sort of startup mode. So I'm kind of curious to know how you make how you balance the building your own startup versus helping these uh, other startups. How do you, or, or do you focus on one thing or another at a time? How how do you balance the world of I'm a startup, but I help startups? If I'm if I'm classifying that correctly. Join us online via Zoom at the Growthcraft Startup Community Founders Forum each third Tuesday of the month at 4:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Look, advisors and founders, we're we're all in this together. Building relationships with your peers and entrepreneurship is just as important as connecting with experts and advisors. Each month, every third Thursday, we'll meet online via Zoom to share ideas, get support, support each other, and talk about universal issues that nearly all startups share. We'll celebrate our victories, chat about challenges, and then break out into small groups to address a timely topic of interest. It's a great way to meet like-minded entrepreneurs. Check out the links 
to the third Tuesday events on the GrowthCraft website and join us at the GrowthCraft Startup Community Founders Forum in the show notes below the podcast player you're listening to right now. Right. Uh, you know, it's taking a little bit of my own advice. <laughs> it's, it's having a good team around you. Um, honestly, there, there is no way that we would be where we are today. Um, you know, if you're, if you're referring to being a startup as in like creating the, the building space, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is, that is a whole separate company uh that has its own team there is some crossover uh you know we have some key players that that are doing both um and if if i'm being fair it's the consultancy that keeps the lights on uh, <laughs> the other one's really trying to drain it uh <laughs> but um uh, you know it's it's having uh some real conversations um having the self-awareness of knowing what you're really good at and I think that is really something that just the whole entrepreneurial experience is what taught me, you know, it, coming from a place where I felt like I needed to know everything, right? I felt like I needed to, you know, if, if I needed to build a website, I needed to know how to do the website. Uh, if I need to do anything, right, I need to know how to do it. And, and that's just, that's not possible. It, it just growing a company there's so many different things i mean it it grows right but you get to sort of a certain critical mass where it's impossible to do it on your own uh one of the the key pieces uh for our company is just the co-founders you know for the consultancy it's my business partner damien who we have a very clear split uh between what we do uh it is blind trust uh you know he trusts the things that i'm committed to i do and the things that he's committed to he does and you know sure fine we we step on each other's toes once in a while um but there is such a a clear relationship on what we do and how we do it and and a clear understanding that we're going in the same direction and if someone does something for a certain reason you don't necessarily need to know what that reason is you know that it's to be better uh to give you a a good example of that um it's very often that in larger meetings that i get interrupted um or vice versa that i'll interrupt that we interject with with some key piece of information with the amount of times that this happens like in sort of internal meetings when we're trying to figure stuff out uh, i have you know my wife sometimes who's listening to i'm on the phone so much that it's on speaker for the vast majority of the time and um she, well i'll put the call down and she'll ask like are, are are you guys okay like is everything okay with the both of you and the answer is always yes right the, these conversations sound very aggressive they sound very uh court curt uh you know we sound like very short with each other but it's just because there's no fluff there's no uh there's no niceties to it because we both know we have that level of trust with each other that it's not mean-spirited it's not an insult it's 
when you said that, it sounded wrong. Hmm. And okay, how should I say it? Right? It, it's it's a direct commentary. It's it's very clear, very direct constructive criticism that you can only establish with the level of trust that we have. So when it comes to the larger team, my my mantra and and the one that I have to t- remind myself all the time is is trust first. Right? As a leader, you have to trust first. You'll figure out, you know, the mistakes will happen and you'll figure you'll figure those out later. Um but especially when you're trying to grow something to scale, you have to trust first because you need those people to do their job the way that they think they're going to do it in order to move things forward. And if I'm being honest, you know, having more people and having that diversity of ideas, it does come up with things that you would have never thought possible. Sure. Um, <clears throat> We are recording this episode of this of, of the Growth Craft podcast um, in the in the 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 days the months after the release of the movie um, Oppenheimer. The, you know the the creator of well not the creator the guy who wrangled together <laughs> all the guys at Los Alamos who put together the atomic bomb. And we're not I'm not going to ask you a question about the morality of the atomic bomb um, or any of that kind of any of that kind of stuff. Thank heavens right. that would have took that would have take the podcast in a totally <laughs> to a left different direction. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, I'm going to ask you about this concept that, um, oh gosh, the character played by Josh Hartnett in the um, in the movie, um, and I don't know if you've seen it. It's okay if you haven't. I'm referencing I have historical. It, no. Yeah, I'm referencing historical characters. Is this idea or historical people? Is this idea of big science, right? Um, and that what Oppenheimer was doing with his crew at Los Alamos was big science, right? He was accomplishing big ideas to do big right. things to, to sort of move the needle of the world. Okay. Tom and I have talked about this in a separate podcast that we do. Um, we both talked about the film because we've both seen it. And the thing that one of the things that jumped out to both of us was the wrangling that had to occur <laughs> that um, Oppenheimer had to do in order to get all these scientists to work together, right? And so as you talk about what you're doing, um, I think about, I flash back to that. And so my question here is about egos. Every single person who I've ever met who's ever been in a leadership position or in a business position, um, I was trained in the arts originally, everybody's got an ego, everybody. <laughs> and everybody knows what they know, right? And they mm. can't be told that they don't know something or it's, it's a lot of wrangling right. and pushing and you got to massage and push and all this. Right. Okay. Been there. <laughs> right. Exactly. So this is, you, you kind of can see the, 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 the dim view of the question I'm about to ask you. Yeah. yeah. Um, people who know things, people who have what I call beautiful minds, who know a lot about one thing and they're a train wreck at everything else, but we mm. hire them to do that one thing, find the one find the one drug that's going to grow me an extra arm, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, solve the one problem that's going to fix the 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 um, the lack of available minerals or the available uh, metals, heavy metals to make batteries. Solve that one problem. People right. who have that kind of information in their head who could solve that one problem, they tend to have massive egos. Mm-hmm. And then you get 16 of them in the room, like Oppenheimer did at Los Alamos, or 20 of them in the room, it's really hard to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. 
Um, talk with us a little bit about how you manage to navigate massive egos, because you have to have some kind of insight that I've never discovered about that. <laughs> that would be helpful for our listeners to know. Um, because people are running into massive egos all the time, right? Um, it's not just at Los Alamos. It's not just in some biotech lab somewhere. It's not just looking for or, or, or looking to build some bridge, right? It's it's everywhere, right? People got egos. So how do you how do you navigate that? Well, or just, how does your team navigate that? Let's, let's, let's frame to, it that way. Just to preface that, sure. Um, with things like Oppenheimer, with with the movies, um, especially with the media, right? Yeah. Um, science, it, it's a love hate relationship with media, especially you know in the wake of of covid mm -hmm. um and now the new attention that's being put towards life sciences in general yeah and i wasn't going to bring up covid that's why i went to the oppenheimer movie because i wasn't going to bring up covid at all <laughs> right I, it it is it's an important event i think for science though it because never at any point that I can remember or that I've ever read of, have you had the global public so interested in clinical trials and how these things happen and like who's doing what at what point, at what stage are they at, right? There's millions and in, in this case, billions of dollars at play here. Um, but being able to manage the media and what goes out there. And just to take that to a completely different scale, uh, I was part of a clinical trial that was that studied uh, seniors and Tai Chi. And uh, the media got wind of some of the results, which are true to a certain extent, but saying that, you know, a, a few minutes of exercise, you know, a, a whether it be Tai Chi or I think in this case, more specifically, it was like walking, but it was like low impact exercise would extend your life for 10 years. Oh, jeez. You know, <laughs> that's, although not untrue, mm. spun the results of that clinical study, which were so specific. Mm. You know, we were looking at a very specific protein and and the effects of that on, you know, it, it's, it's a very complicated answer, which fine. Yes. If you're going to, you know, translate that into colloquial language, that's what happens. Uh, and there's some people that are a lot better at wielding that than others. And, you know, shameless plug, we do train scientists on PR and how to do those things. Um, but to sort of go back to your question, those big egos tend to be the people that do have that media attention uh, that sometimes they're being handled and handled in handled with respect to how their communication is happening. Uh, universities do have PR experts. Companies can hire PR firms, you know, that do provide advice. Uh, but for the most part, they become the face. And getting 
working with those egos is something that you can do on, uh, you evaluate on an individual basis. There's a very popular story um, that's Samuel Pierpoint Langley. Uh, you don't know that name, or if you do, you probably read Simon Sinek because this is one of his examples. Uh, he was the most prominent competitor for the Wright brothers. He was the one that had the funding. He had the team. He had everything going for him, including the media. And yet, it's the Wright brothers, the two guys with the bicycle that looks like it's just going to fall apart, that kept trying. It's the drive that they had. It's the relentless just building, rebuilding the, the structure and moving it forward again and again and again and again on literally a shoestring budget. Uh, they're the ones that made it, right? And they're the ones that we talk about all the time. And Samuel Pierpoint Langley, even though at the time had millions of dollars, which I couldn't even tell you how much that is in today, today's money, he didn't make it, right? And so the point I'm trying to make here is that ego's not always the way to do it. You might have all the resources. You might have all the, the team, the effort, the time, but it's really the drive, right? And it's aligning with someone with you, right? They were brothers, right? They were in it together. They supported each other. I, I, I don't know how many times they've crashed, but based on the videos, it was a lot. And it's finding those people that align with you, right? And, and that's really how you circumnavigate or you deal with the big egos. Sometimes you do need to deal with them, right? Sometimes they do have some kind of knowledge in this case that's really important that you really want to have access to. Uh, but more often than not, you know, those people won't align with all the other principles and everything else that you want to do. And so in that case, it's a really clear decision. They don't want the same thing as you do. There's no alignment there, so you don't work with them. Join the GrowthCraft startup community online via Zoom each first Tuesday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time for Expert Tuesdays. With Expert Tuesdays, you'll hear from one of our top-notch expert advisors and thought leaders in an informative workshop or presentation focusing on a topic important to emerging and growing companies. From sales and marketing to storytelling and leadership, in this hour-long monthly session, you will be able to connect with the GrowthCraft community, advisors, founders, and others. And you'll learn entrepreneurship skills you can apply to your startup project uh, right now. Check out the links to the GrowthCraft website to join us on Expert Tuesdays in the show notes below the podcast player you're listening to right now. And thanks. So speaking of work with, let, let, I, I'm going to ask you a simpler question because I'm going to bring us back down to earth a little bit and talking about the egos and Oppenheimer and COVID and the Wright brothers. This is way simpler. But <laughs> um, you talked earlier about it, uh, the end of your engagements where you talk, you go through a workshop. Can you talk about the engagements in, a, in its totality? Like, is there a is there a very stringent process that you bring people through that is X number of days or does the number of days not matter, but the process itself has milestones that you work with in, in between that? And then secondarily, you, we're talking specifically about scientists, but just out of curiosity, do you ever go outside of that world and work with 
other types of companies with the same style of process or do you really just just sim simply go through scientists uh, with it <laughs> question one first <laughs> yeah, yeah uh our engagements are i, I would call it a mixture um uh, you know we're small nimble the goal is to create you know to provide that support to make and have good science um, and so anything that provides us so the avenue to do that is what we're going to take. Uh, we've managed to standardize processes. Um, because it is consulting, there's that, that flexibility to extend things. Uh, but we have some pretty defined starting points. Uh, you know, it's not everyone that works well with our method of doing things. Um, it has, we have a six week program at the very beginning where it's just a very easy overview, a very basic overview of, of what we do. And typically we'll choose one or two things that are real key pain points and focus on those. And that gives people the opportunity to work with us, uh, to see what it's like to have our team supporting them. Um, the vast majority of the time it goes well and you know we continue with that um a lot of times it's it's really akin to kind of signing on the dotted line and then having a whole team that's working with you um the same process that we're introducing into skylet is really what we developed with the consulting work which is you have a whole team you know we have operational specialists that help with the basics the foundations you know we have these sort of templates that we put in place um, while we have our recruitment team that's looking to fill the positions specifically with people for your team that are, you know, obviously fitting the role better than sort of our generalists. Um, as the transition happens, we're training those people on the existing system, but we also train them on how to change it, right? That way, when our team is completely gone, not only are you left with a custom system for you, but you're left with a team that knows how to continue optimizing that as you grow, right? So that, that's part of the program that we do. And I would say the vast majority of the time we're looking at a 12-month period. Uh, we do have longer engagements because so much of what we do relies on experience, right? We have the ability to create, you know, simulate certain uh, situations that, that we see come up very often. But for the vast majority of the time, the best learning opportunities are the ones that are happening to you right now. And every individual is different. Leadership training for everyone is very individual. And sometimes it does take a little bit of time to figure out where it is you need more support and where are the places that you're absolutely fine. Cool. So that's consulting. If we're going to take it on to uh, the the actual buildings, the space, uh, that's a pretty classic lease situation. Um, we're very much focused on flexibility. Uh, so our leases are built in a way, or I guess written in a way, uh, to provide sort of the opportunity for you to grow, or for you to downsize, uh, specifically looking at sort of a per bench and per desk uh, lease. So are you taking this to... I get, oh, I was gonna say the second half of that question yeah, is outside of outside yeah. of the sciences world. Like, and this so, can be very simple, yes or no. I mean, I, I'm just I, you don't have to go into deep explanation, but I was. But do you ever take these processes outside of the scientific world to deal with any other companies? Uh, we do for ourselves. 
Um, and certainly in the future, this is at least the base part of the program, uh, obviously is applicable to a lot of other types of companies. Um, at the moment, we're expanding within the life sciences and within sort of science itself, uh, because the focus isn't necessarily the applications of what we're doing. It's the type of person. So really, gotcha. if you're a technical founder, right? So again, that's most people that have studied in the STEMs. Uh, yeah. These are things that are tools, techniques, tips, tricks. They all work very well for those people. It's going to take us a little bit to, to make something that will apply to another subset um, of individuals. That obviously would apply to other types of uh, commercialization. Sure. Gotcha. Go ahead, Asan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so growth craft, right? You know, uh, what we're putting together here. Mm -hmm. um, what has attracted you to working with growth craft? I, I can definitely see some similarities between our model um, and the model that um, you and your partner have put together in your consultancy. Mm -hmm. um, but can you flesh out a little bit for our listeners? How has the growth craft community helped you and, and what attracted you to, 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 to partnering up with us and working with us? The what attracted me to Growthcraft and the way that Growthcraft helps helps me um, are exactly the same, um, and it is completely rooted in alignment and partnership. A really large part of what we do is train people on how to build a team that aligns with itself, and that that takes many many forms, uh, but especially at the very beginning, that's really difficult uh, because most of the time, and if you're working with people like us, then it's a little bit easier because our network is already established. But for the vast majority of the time, entrepreneurs are putting their own networks together, right? They're coming right out of school or they're transitioning right out of, you know, typically some other job. Your infrastructure, as far as building a company uh, in terms of your network is just not there. And what Growthcraft does is it's that built-in alignment network of business professionals. And that is so key with everything for a, a, a nascent company. Uh, it doesn't matter what field you're in. You know, the reason why you're asking if, if we can apply our processes in other industries is the same reason, right? The, the foundation of putting these companies is the same. And what you get out of Growthcraft is a set of individuals who span not only the types of different services, but also the industries. And as a niche advisor for Growthcraft, we literally meet once a week. We talk about the different people that we're working with. And there's built-in coordination between the advisors that the entrepreneurs and the people that we're working with, they don't even have to set up, right? It's just part of the program. And that at the beginning stages, not having to worry about coordinating between the professionals that you're working with is, I mean, you have to go through it to realize and to know how valuable that is, but it is, it's a game changer. And that's, why I'm part of Growthcraft because I'm just part of a group that creates an ecosystem to do things better. You know, in my case, it's science, but for the rest of us, it's just helping these entrepreneurs make, build better companies. 
So in, in, in wrapping up, Nick, we always ask, um, we always ask people to, to get, kind of self-promote here, right? Like mm-hmm. give yourself an opportunity to talk to people who are listening right now. If they hear something they really love and they want to either reach out to you, find you, um, you know, cause we didn't really hear the name of your companies uh, in the beginning. So we didn't, we didn't, we didn't ask you that. Right. Cause we kind of know you a little bit. So we, we didn't, we forgot to kind of narrow that field. Anyway. Um, so how do they find you or, and, or is there anything that you want to promote out? Like, are you doing speaking engagements often? Are you, are there networking events that you're a frequent flyer at or anything like that, that people can kind of come seek you out? It is all of the above. Um, you know, that's, that's part of the job. Uh, but more specifically, um, if you're interested in the space, uh, that's Skylit Labs. Uh, we do different events all over the place, um, more specifically in Boston and targeting the cities that we're going to be in. Uh, so we have two, two buildings going up uh, just shy of 350,000 square feet coming up um, in the Boston metro area. We're also looking at places outside of Boston. So if you're in New York, and interested in space, you know, feel free to reach out. Uh, and then we're also reaching out in Canada now. Um, so anyone who's interested in, in those types of things, keep an eye out on our website, uh, on our socials. We're always putting out like where we're going to be. Um, those projects, obviously, a few years down the road. But if you are interested in working with us in the programming, uh, the types of training or coaching uh, is something that's interesting to you. Uh, you can read reach out to us at Experimental Designs Consulting. Uh, that is the coaching program that we run. Um, and, you know, same thing, website, socials. Uh, we do a lot of speaking engagements. Uh, you know, we've spoken at, we get hired out to go speak. Uh, and we also just do free webinars ourselves, uh, both virtually and uh, in person on live events. Uh, or you can catch me, uh, between Southern California and Boston. Uh, if I'm in Boston, I'm going to Venture Cafe pretty religiously when I can. Um, and if I'm on the West Coast, uh, definitely see us at uh, SoCal Bio um, or anything around sort of the Orange County, South LA, uh, basically all the groups that are there. Uh, where we pretty regularly attend those events. Uh, or the easiest way is just email me. Uh, I think my contact information is like posted everywhere. Uh, well, I, I was going to say too, if if nobody remembers any of that, just remember you are listening to the Growthcraft yeah. podcast, and Nick is one of our uh, advisors, so we can also help you get back in touch with him. I just figured I'd give you an opportunity to to kind of shout out your stuff first. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So the the our program is specifically called the clear path program it's like six weeks uh we do in we do a few it's basically master class format uh with a little bit of consulting involved um group training or individual or obviously you can catch me uh at the growth craft events uh or i actually the other virtual event if you're not specifically in boston is uh chuck's roundtable uh who's also a growth craft in there advisor so, yeah yes yes chuck goldstone's roundtable yes we will have, home, <laughs> absolutely we will have links to all of the places where you can find uh nick and experimental designs consulting and skylight labs uh, we'll have the links to all of his social in the uh show notes below the podcast player that you happen to be listening to the Growthcraft podcast on once yeah. again yeah, go ahead. 
Oh, no, I just wanted to thank you guys the opportunity uh, putting the podcast together and inviting me out. I uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thanks to everybody listening. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Nick, for joining us today on the Growthcraft podcast. And with that, well, uh, we're out. Each second Thursday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, join Growthcraft live and in person at Second Thursdays at CIC, located at 1 Broadway, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Located at Kendall Square, CIC features the most engaging entrepreneurial community in the Northeast, right next to MIT and minutes from Harvard University and downtown Boston. With 250,000 square feet of professionally managed, flexible workspace, CIC has every office amenity you could possibly need to scale your startup project. For those of you who are local, or if you're just visiting Boston, Growthcraft advisors and founders can meet others in our community face-to-face. -face. Join us for an informal social and informational get-together. Meet others, chat with advisors and peers, make connections, and then stay for Venture Cafe, starting at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, every second Thursday at CIC. Check out the links to the Growthcraft website to join us live and in person at Second Thursdays at CIC in the show notes below the podcast player you're listening to uh, right now. And thanks 